Hello, and welcome to the One Church podcast. This message was recorded for our online service. We're not meeting at our church buildings at the moment, so tune in live this Sunday for our next online service by going to weareone.church or finding us on Facebook. Hi Church, it is my privilege to start this new series with you today. The series is called Shipwrecked and it is for anyone who feels like they are on a sinking ship. Uh, Well, let's put it differently, maybe anyone who feels like their life has changed during lockdown, which is all of us. Uh, Maybe our life has got stripped back and uh, simplified in some ways. Lots of us it's got more stressful, but there's lots of things that have come out of our life. And as we kind of enter a bit of a time in this weird world that we are in right now where things are starting to ease and our lives are starting to be put back together again. I think now is a great time for us to start thinking about what are the changes that we've made during lockdown that we want to make permanent. And this shipwrecked series uh, I think is going to really help with some of that. So we're going to ask ourselves some questions during this series. We're going to take four weeks to do that and these questions are going to help all of us work out what changes do we keep and make permanent. So for example we're going to ask what relationships do we need? I'm going to try and help you answer that question today. Uh, How have our ideas changed? What disappointments need dealing with? And what spiritual weight have we been carrying? I think if we can answer those questions now, then our lives are going to be in a totally different space and a much healthier space moving forward out of this lockdown time and even well beyond this pandemic when we start telling the stories of all the fun stuff that took place. Um, Now, you may never have been shipwrecked. I certainly haven't been shipwrecked. I don't imagine that's a fairly common thing today. So rather than us try and think about a time when we have, I I am sure that loads of us have faced that check-in desk experience at an airport, though. Uh, Many of you know what I'm talking about. You're at home, you've packed your suitcase for your holiday, you've fit everything in, you've decided what you need to take. Some of you are list people and you had the list and you went, you packed off your list. Other of you are like renegades and you just throw stuff in the case and zip it up at the end you even you even weighed it on your bathroom scales but it doesn't matter if you do either of those packing methods and weighed it on your bathroom scales because there's this moment that's going to come when you get to the airport you walk to the check-in desk you hand over your passport and your boarding pass and you're going to put your suitcase on that little belt thing and a little digital display is going to tell you whether you have passed or failed at life no, no, not pass or failed at life. But I get really, I get, I feel that's a really momentous occasion. I want to know, have I, have I succeeded at this task or not? Because there's a weight limit of how heavy your suitcases can be. And if you've flown on a budget airline, like I have plenty of times, that weight limit really isn't that high. And if you are over the weight limit, they're going to start charging you money or they're going to start asking you, what stuff are you going to take out of that case in order for you to get to the destination that you want to get to? At one particular occasion, uh, Louise and I had taken a team of nearly 20 young people to a church and a town in Slovakia. And we'd gone there to do some schools work and youth work. And it was a brilliant trip. We had a great time. No problems getting out there. But on the way back at Bratislava Airport, we have that check-in desk moment of truth and we're all on the same booking so she asked each of us to hand our passports over and then one by one put the case on and then here's the thing this check-in desk attendant has this other lady on her shoulder and I can see that this person looks important 
and this poor attendant is having to check us all in with her supervisor watching over our shoulders. So the first case goes on, it's a kilogram over. She says, that's a kilogram over. So I know there's a kilogram over, but I'm smiling lots and I'm hoping you're gonna let me get away with it. It says, oh, let's do the next one then. Next one, two kilograms over. Next one, another one kilogram over. Next one, three kilograms under. Yes, yes, what a result. Uh, but like case after case, some of them over, some of them under. And she checks in, she weighs every single one of those bags. And then she says, right, you have to pay for the extra weight of your group's baggage. So I said, well, I'm trying to think, you know, maybe you've, you're a teacher and you've had to take a, a group of students on a school trip or you're a youth worker and you've had to do this. Well, like whenever you're leading a group, at this point, you're just looking for the most simple option. Like, okay, what's the minimum I could do? Can we just add it all up? take away the bits and let's have an ag aggregate score and I'll just pay for the aggregate in one go, put it on the credit card, let's just get onto this flight. And then she looks over her shoulder at the check-in attendant and she says, no, no, I need to fill out this form for every suitcase that is overweight. I said, we are not doing that, thank you very much. So I said, right everybody, everybody that had a suitcase that was under the allowance, you go over here and open your cases up. Everybody who had their suitcase and it was over the allowance, you're gonna go over here and open your cases up. And if you can put stuff in someone's case over this side, we're gonna even it out. If you have clothes to wear extra, wear them. And anything you can do to shed some weight from your suitcases, do it because we are getting on this flight. So it, this is, we took up loads of space in the airport. People are throwing stuff out of their suitcases. The kids that had these like two litre bottles of Cafola, which is like a local soft drink that they loved, uh, like downing two litres of fizzy drink in the airport. People were scoffing chocolate and sweets that they'd planned to take home for their parents. There were people that were wearing three jumpers, four jumpers and a coat and two pairs of jeans, carrying an extra pair of trainers under their arms. We had band gear. So there were like guitar cases now filled with pants and socks. And do you know what? We got everybody's case under the allowance and we made our flight. What do we have to do? We had to decide what stuff are we gonna leave behind and those bins were full of all sorts of junk because we're only gonna need what we need to get through this process. And we've all had experiences like that, maybe not in an airport, but even as simple as when you're loading your car for a trip. What stuff are you gonna take? What are you gonna leave behind? We've always had, we also had these experiences outside of that. So if you ever started a new job and thought the reputation I had at my old place, well now I'm going, I'm gonna have a fresh start. I'm gonna leave that behind. Maybe you started a new school or a, or a new college. And, and, and some of those like, friends friends who said like, oh yeah let's stay in touch and on the outside you're going yeah yeah I'll message you and on the inside you're going no I'm not uh, or maybe even you had a relationship that went wrong and you had to make a decision I am never letting somebody do that to me ever again these are all examples of facing a shipwreck experience and we had to decide what are we going to carry through to the other side and what are we going to leave behind and throw aside. Now the reason that this series is called Shipwrecked is because it is inspired by a story that we find at the end of the book of Acts in the New Testament. The story is about a man called Paul and he is about to get shipwrecked in this story. We can read about it in Acts chapter 27 uh, and in this part of the story this man Paul is a prisoner of the Roman Empire. In fact he is about to be shipped over to Rome to have an audience with Caesar because that's where he's going to be on trial. Now the reason that Paul is a prisoner is because he held some really passionate beliefs and those passionate beliefs were about Jesus Christ. 
And these beliefs were this. They, he believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the one that was promised to be sent from God to earth so that everybody of all religions and all races and all nationalities could experience a way to Father God. And not only that, but if we would accept the words and actions and saving grace of this Jesus Christ, then our lives would change forever and our world could change forever. He held this belief so passionately, he went around every town and village he, his little feet would take him to, to deliver this message to as many people as possible. Now, Rome, typically, the Roman Empire, were fairly tolerant of people's religions. They didn't mind what you believed or really how you practiced those beliefs as long as you stayed within the rules of the empire. Now, however, there were some other religious groups, some Jewish groups in particular, who hated this message. And because of that, they hated Paul because of it. And they demanded that Paul would get arrested, so much so that they started massive riots. Now, while Rome is tolerant of religions, they're not so tolerant of huge uprisings that are based around those religious beliefs. And under enormous pressure, they arrest Paul. And Paul is making his way up through the court and judicial system because each person he stands in front of who speaks on behalf of the empire can find no fault with him. And they need to see, eventually they decide, we're going to send you to Caesar and Caesar can make the decision. So here's Paul, arrested for his passionate beliefs, setting sail on this boat with 275 other people destined for Rome. Now it wasn't just prisoners on this boat, prisoners and guards obviously. There'd been plenty of crew and members of the Roman Empire and government officials and as they get onto this boat they find out that this, uh, this ship is going to be on, this, on the seas for weeks and weeks and weeks. They're going to be on this journey so long, in fact, that the seasons begin to change. And while we're getting to winter even, and now loads of the ships are now docking for the season and staying safe, they have yet to reach their destination. And while they're setting sail and the, and the seasons change and the weather change, they realise like we are in trouble. They begin, the storms start to rage. They begin to look around for things that they can throw off the ship to make it lighter. They start by throwing off the cargo. Then they start throwing off the, the fishing gear and the tackle. Then they start looking at the food and they throw all the food overboard. They look at the lifeboats. They cut those loose. They even cut the anchors loose in order to try and make this ship as light as possible. They just want to survive. There's no more things, no more stuff to throw overboard. And they're about to look at the prisoners and say, the prisoners are next to go. And Paul says, wait, stop. Don't throw the prisoners overboard. Don't throw us overboard. And he reveals this. This is Acts chapter 27 and verse 22. He says, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. He reveals that a messenger from God has given him this promise. That yes, all the cargo is gone. Even the ship's going to be destroyed, but not one of these 276 people will be harmed. We can read through the rest of that chapter and it carries on exactly as Paul had predicted or as God had told him. The cargo, gone. The ship, broken apart, gone. The 276 people, they survive. Isn't that incredible? He had to decide for himself, but his voice becomes a voice for the whole ship and they have to decide together, this is what we're going to do to get through this. But all the cargo, all the stuff they didn't need had to go first. Even the ship had to be destroyed for the lives to be saved. Now, shipwrecks happen for a number of reasons. We all face them. 
lockdown has been a shipwreck for so many of us, right? What we need in these moments where the ship is breaking apart, the cargo is going overboard, what we need in the middle of a storm is a moment of clarity. And our moment of clarity where we decide, what are we going to take with us through this? What are we going to take with us to the other side? What's going to carry us through to the other side of this storm? What do we need with us? And really importantly, who is going to help us get there? What am I taking with me? And who is going to help me get there? In Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14, we get two more stories of two more storms. And in these stories, they feature Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is on a boat with the disciples. And while they're on the boat, a big storm kicks up. Now, as the storm gets really scary, the the disciples on the boat decide there's nothing left to do. We're going to have to wake up Jesus. That's right. Wake up Jesus because Jesus is sleeping in the middle of this storm. They wake Jesus up and this is what he does. He speaks to the storm. Yeah, he literally uses words and says to the storm, calm down. Jesus calms this entire storm by speaking to it. Incredible. In this next story, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus isn't on the boat. In fact, it's just after Jesus feeds 5,000 and he sends his disciples onto the boat and they head across the water. He retreats up a hillside and you can imagine him sitting on the side of this hill watching his friends, his disciples sail off into the distance. He would also have seen then a huge storm come upon the disciples and their boat. And in this story, Jesus sees his friends getting into distress and comes to their boat, not in a boat on his own, but he comes to them walking on the water. Yes, this is the Jesus walks on water story. He walks on the water through the storm to get to his disciples. And this is what he says to them in Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. In the middle of the storm, Jesus comes out. Now, here's what's really interesting about these two stories. In the first story, Jesus speaks to the storm and tells the storm to calm down, and it does. In the second story, he doesn't speak to the storm. We already know he can speak to the storm. We already know if he just says, storm, shut it, the storm stops. But why doesn't he? Well, he's trying to show us something different in this second episode. In the second episode, he walks through the storm on top of the waters to the disciples on their boat, says, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, this is incredible because have you ever asked yourself, where is Jesus now? God, where are you now? I'm in the middle of a storm. I'm about to get shipwrecked. Where are you, God? Well, sometimes we pray in those situations and Jesus speaks to the storm and answers our prayer in a way that we really want him to. Jesus speaks to the storm and says, storm, calm down. And it does. And the shipwreck is, is, is over. The storm is over. We make it through to the other side because Jesus comes and speaks to the storm. In the second account, though, it shows us this, that sometimes we're in the middle of the storm and we cry out to God or we pray to him and we're saying, God, where are you? And he says, I'm right here. I am in the middle of the storm with you. I am with you in the storm. In fact, I have walked through this storm, the same path that you have walked. You were on a boat. I was across the water and here I am. And he says this to you. If you're facing a storm today, pray to him, cry out to him, say, God, help me. Or Jesus, come and help me in this storm. Help me in this shipwreck. And maybe Jesus will answer that prayer today by going, storm, calm it, stop. And maybe his response to you today is, I am here. I am with you. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. 
Now remember, whenever we read accounts of Jesus, the, the people telling us these accounts, and not just the gospel accounts, but the whole narrative throughout the Bible, we see that these, these are accounts that people are trying to show us something about how we can relate to God. And they're, all, they're written by real people at a real time to a real audience. And there's something they want us to learn. And there's something else here that, that Matthew wants us to learn about storms and shipwrecks and the role that Jesus plays in all of them. And, and that's to do with, with how other religions talked about water and storms. See, lots, in lots of other religions, the most powerful gods were in the waters and in the weather because they were the most unpredictable things. In fact, we see that in the second story, that in Matthew 14, Jesus is, uh, sends his disciples across the lake and it's clear, it's calm, there is no bad weather, there is no storm, and suddenly out of nowhere, bang, unpredictably, the storm comes. And, and because of this, other religions believed that there were all sorts of other gods at play and the fiercest ones, they were in the weather and in the water. But what happens then when someone is told about Jesus being able to speak to the storm and calm the storm, or when Jesus comes and walks over the water that's causing so much distress, here's what's going on. It's the ultimate power move to show that Jesus is the Lord above all these other gods. It's Jesus above the storms. He is above your storm. He is above your shipwreck. He is with you in the storm because he has authority over the storm and he has power over the storm. There are no other gods before him. When Jesus calms storms and walks on water, it's the ultimate power move. The most interesting thing about that second story for me, though, is that even though Jesus comes out on that storm and he comes and the next part of this story is this. He comes out and he speaks to one of his disciples called Peter, who's on the boat in the middle of this storm. Jesus standing in front of him. They even think it's a ghost, it says. And when Jesus says, like, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. He says to Peter, come to me. He says, come to me. Peter, come to me. Because he's trying to ask us, and maybe he's asking you today, like, come, come to me. Because he can speak to the storm and he's the Lord over the storm. But at some point, we have to decide whether we're willing to let go of the thing that's giving us the safety in the storm. Come on, somebody. Like how easy is it for us to, I bet, like during, in the comments box in those last couple of minutes, I hope loads of people were saying amen and yes and fist bump emojis that Jesus is the Lord over our storms. But how many of us are so easily ready to let go of the ship? The one thing that's left. This is a parallel between this story and the story of Paul in Acts chapter 27. The cargo went first, everything else was thrown overboard, but we, are you willing to even let the ship be destroyed so that you can show that your trust is wholly in Jesus? What things do you hold on to that are your safety nets that Jesus might be asking you in this season to let go of to put your trust into him? There's cargo on all of our ships that need throwing overboard. And that's what we're trying to do in this series, help you decide what stays and what goes. One of the most interesting things about lockdown has been uh, how it's impacted our relationships. I mean, think about our friends and family and colleagues. And I think all of us have felt the lack in this season, even introverts, you, we, 
are feeling the lack of those relationships and being close to people and having interaction with people. Everybody has felt it. So what have we done? We started Zoom quiz nights and created new WhatsApp groups and started using things like FaceTime loads more to try and recreate that and stay connected with one another. Um, but for some of us, actually, this break has been a healthy one for you. Maybe like you have some toxic people in your life that this distance uh, and it, cutting them out during lockdown has been a really healthy thing for you. Now, there's some great relationships we have that hopefully we're choosing. I need to make sure I'm still investing in those relationships when all of this lockdown and pandemic stuff is over. And there's other, other relationships we might be thinking, actually, this has been great because it's given me an excuse to keep people at a little bit of a distance, especially if someone causes you harm when you are with them. I wanted to say this as part of this message today as in this last section, I wanted to say this, that you might not be responsible for the people that come and go in your life, but you can take responsibility for what they leave behind. It's not okay to shoot the neighbor's cat when it takes a poo on your lawn, but you don't want to leave the poo there, you can clean it up. There are some people that are in our life, we might have control or responsibility over them coming and going, but you know, maybe a simple, I say simple, maybe forgiveness, maybe letting go, might be a way of not letting them dump their cargo on your ship. And that might be a way of creating some boundaries to stop people from hurting us so much and leaving their stuff all over our, all over our ship. The person can come and go, but I'm not gonna let their cargo stick around anymore. Here's a few questions to ask yourself when considering what relationships do I keep beyond this season and, and how do I maximise those and what relationships am I in need of that this season has highlighted in me? Who, ask yourself these three questions. Number one, who have I missed the most? What, the, what lack have I felt? Because these are people that I've missed and it clearly shows I have value for them. Number two, how has the distance made me healthier? Uh, is my mental health better because there's some people that I've kept at a distance? Is there people that have a negative impact on me that maybe there's some steps I can take to keep that distance up even post lockdown? Number three, who inspires me to stay faith filled? Who is the voice of Paul on my boat that says, take courage, don't worry, the cargo might be gone, the food might be gone, we may have got rid of the lifeboat, hey, even the ship is going to break up, but don't worry, not one of us is going to die today. Who is the faith-filled person encouraging you, growing you, and helping you? Who inspires you to stay faith-filled? These questions will help us work out what stays and what goes, who, uh, what's going to go with me, and who is going to help me get there. As we finish, let me help you remember this. Jesus is and always will be the Lord of the storms. He is the Lord over the storm that's going on in your life and even the next one that awaits around the corner. But he is the Lord over that, over those things, yet he's in contention with some of the things that we hold on to. So what do you need to let go of? To allow him not just to be Lord over the storms, but to actually be Lord over your life too. To own your heart to have your heart, to help you pursue the big life that he has promised for you, to experience what it feels like to live for the kingdom of heaven. Not one day on a cloud with a halo, but right here, right now in your life. And if you reach out to Jesus today, here's what you'll hear back. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Thank you.